Hello, friends, and welcome to the CNBC podcast, where we explore how Jesus is at work in and around our world. Calvary Monument Bible Church is a body of Christ called by Jesus to love, live, and lead for God's glory, desiring to grow in a greater love for God and a greater love for those He places in our pathways. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Monument Bible Church, we would invite you to check us out online at www.calvarymonument.org. I'm Pastor Chris Lenhart, and joining us today is Ben Foley. Ben is the international president of Serve Now, an international missions agency with ministries throughout the world. Ben grew up in Lancaster County and attended Lancaster Bible College. He and his wife, Lauren, live in Colorado with their four children. Today, Ben is going to share with us about the mission and vision of Serve Now. He will also give us details about his newly released book titled Hope Rising, Finding Hope in a Turbulent World. Jesus is at work. Let's hear what he's up to. Welcome, Ben. Thanks, Chris. Great to be with you. Tell us a little bit about the ministry of Serve Now. Yeah, so Serve Now began about seven and a half years ago, and our mission statement is sharing Christ's passion for the world by serving the most vulnerable through national churches and leaders. And that might sound like kind of a, a mouthful, but really the theme of which inspires all of our actions, we like to say, is serving like Jesus would serve. And how did Jesus serve? He served in a variety of different ways. Yes, he came for one main purpose, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled with God and, of course, rising from the dead. Uh, but he didn't do just that. He served people according to their needs and his Father's will. And that took a lot of different forms and shapes and depending on the circumstance and the person and the need, he healed people, he delivered people, he drove out demons, he worked miracles, all kinds of different miracles. In fact, I love what the Gospel of John says at the end, that these are just a few of the things that Jesus did in a very short period of time, about three and a half years of his earthly ministry before being crucified and resurrected and ascending. Uh, but John said, if we tried to write everything that he did, there wouldn't be a library big enough to contain all of those stories. And so that's, to me, a real picture and image of the heart of Serve Now. We're going out and we're seeing where God is working or where we believe he wants to work, joining with him there and serving people according to their needs. Awesome. How does a guy from the little town of Quarryville in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, become the international president of a major missions organization. Tell us that story and how the Lord worked all that out. That would be the key phrase there, how the Lord worked all this out, because it's clearly not something I could do or even was looking to do. Uh, but in, in essence, and not to get too long with this, but um, I was pastoring a church in New Jersey, along the Jersey Shore for six and a half, or for about six years. And not too long into that time, uh, the founder of Serve Now started to come around. He was a, a friend and was supported by my wife's family for 30 years prior to that. 
And when he first started coming around, <clears throat> Serve Now hadn't started yet. But it was during that time that he would retire <laughs> from his organization before that and within three months got bored <laughs> and uh, didn't understand the word retirement, couldn't find it anywhere in the Bible. In fact, he read from the book of Acts where Peter on the day of Pentecost quotes from the prophet Joel. Uh, the, the verse where it says your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And he said, well, I'm not young, <laughs> but I am old. And this says I can still dream dreams. <laughs> so he said, if we're going to do anything to his daughter, who had also had some things on her heart and came around and said, Dad, if you're going to do anything, I'm with you 100%. And he said, well, if we're going to do anything, I'm old. So we're going to have to do it now. And he said he always had the word serve in his mind. So that's actually how the name Serve Now came about. Uh, so they started Serve Now. And not too long into that, his daughter uh, needed to step down from that role of leading Serve Now as it began to just grow and uh, in a way that they hadn't imagined or predicted. And uh, they started looking for somebody. And I like to joke that it was either after he asked everybody else on the face of the earth <laughs> and he was stuck with me as the last choice <laughs> or he had bad pizza and woke up one day saying it's Ben. Uh, but he came around and he, and he asked if I would be willing to be trained by him for a few years and then step into his role. And as we were talking about in depth, everything serve now was really doing and the countries they were in and the model upon which it's built of working with national leaders and, and people and churches in every country that they were in, I remembered this document that I had written years before, at that point, probably seven years, and I had forgotten about this. But that day after we met together and he asked that question, <clears throat> I went home, I found that old document in an old computer, and when I compared it, with what ServeNow was doing in this dream I had had at one point in my life to have a, a international mission organization that would do very specific things in very specific countries with a very specific model. It was eerily identical to everything that ServeNow was doing down to the countries and projects and model upon which it was built. Wow. And so that was part of the confirmation for me of this was something that God had actually planted a seed for years before and now was bringing it to pass in a way that it hadn't even existed at that point. And, and the incredible part I think about that is uh, how it, it shows us how expansive and how huge our God is. I mean to connect two people uh, with, with a very similar passion who are living in two different parts of the country, you know, one on the East Coast, one in the Midwest, uh, and and to draw those people together, um, it, it's it's motivating, it's inspiring. And there's a 40 year gap between he and I, which <laughs> has some biblical connotations. Yeah, to it. yeah, it does. It does. Oh man. Or well, he's old and I'm young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and there's more about that story in your new book. Yeah. And so we want to talk a little bit about your new book. Uh, you have written a book called Hope Rising. Finding Hope in a Turbulent World, and I thought that the title and the timing of this book was so incredible because here we are in a day where there is a lot of hopelessness, uh, a lot of fear, and the Lord put it on your heart to write a book about hope. So tell us a little bit about how that all came about. Yeah, so it actually, years ago, 
we were, our founder and I, Lars, we were meeting with a couple. Uh, one of them is now one of our board members, but wasn't at the time. They were friends, supporters, and we were telling them stories from around the world of what God was doing. And halfway into that, the husband just kind of cut us off. And he said, you know, what Serve Now gives me is hope. And it was right in that moment, in fact, later that night when Lars and I were having dinner together that I said to him, you know, Lars, one, one day you and I need to write a book on hope because that's really what we're seeing happen through Serve Now. What God is really doing when you just, you know, get beyond all the different projects and programs and everything, people are experiencing hope in desperate, despairing, otherwise hopeless circumstances and situations. And we still thought that this book would be several years out, but then something called COVID happened. <laughs> and we, a number of things just kind of lined up where it was, you know, we're, we're not able to travel right now, so we're home and we have the time available. And two, if there's ever a time where hope is needed, it's now. Not just even because of COVID, but even just politically, how people are feeling a sense of despair and hopelessness, uh, whether right here in the United States or just all over the world. I mean, a multitude of different issues. In fact, even, even with COVID and connected to a lot of these things is the reality of suicide uh, rates rising throughout the world. In fact, there's a chapter in this book that kind of deals with that and takes that issue head on. Uh, I've even personally battled with uh, times, uh, not just depression, but even suicidal thoughts that uh, have been have been true even for me. So I wanted to bring that, that there is hope in the midst of some of those most despairing situations. And I love what the Apostle Paul writes, and we, we talk about this in chapter 2. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, he says, when you boil down the Christian life to its most basic ingredients. You're left with three things that are absolutely critical, that cannot be removed. And those three things are faith, hope, and love. Mm -hmm. Of course, the greatest of those is love, because love won't endure for eternity, and God is love. Uh, but for now, mm -hmm. life on this earth requires not just love, but faith and hope. And hope is that one sandwiched right in the middle between faith and love. And I, I, I often feel like we talk a lot about faith, we talk a lot about love, but hope is a little bit more perhaps nebulous and what does that really mean? And so we wanted to dive in and really talk about hope in a way that not just shares the Serve Now story, but really speaks to where can we find hope today and where does that hope come from and how do we live in that hope? Yeah, well, that that's awesome. I, I've often thought, you know, faith is what gets us started. Hope mm. is what keeps us going. Yeah. Right. And love is what motivates us, you know, and, and to have a whole book of, of about hope in these days uh, is very inspiring. And there's a string uh, throughout the book where you show uh, how hope transcends and can transcend age. You know, there's hope for the young. There's hope for the old. And in your travels internationally, you have seen how there's hope for those that live with excess and there's hope for those that live in want. Talk a little bit about the string of hope that you've seen in your travels and your ministry. With, with yeah, Serenow. it's amazing how many times something that we would think of as very simple 
and ordinary and not a big deal for us, like a blanket, right? We go home at night and we get into our bed and we have a blanket and we probably don't think anything of, of it other than the physical warmth that it provides uh, during the winter. But time and again, especially up in the Himalayan mountain areas of both India and Nepal, we give out blankets every winter to people and, and fleece jackets and hats and, and, and warm pants for kids. But over and over again, and sometimes these are, eight, I've, there's been, there was a woman I remember in Nepal, she was 101 years old. And this was the first gift she had ever received from somebody. And as I was trying, before we were giving out the blankets, I was trying to communicate, share the gospel, but she kept interrupting me. <laughs> and I thought, I didn't know what was going on. She's speaking in another language, so you don't know if she's angry <laughs> or what it is. But through interpretation, it was, she was so excited about this gift. She was saying, she was saying, it's as if your angels that have been sent from heaven and through this blanket, I'm experiencing God's love. And it was like, she's getting it, and I haven't even preached <laughs> right yet. So for them, a lot of people, uh, a physical object is not just a physical object. It comes with a spiritual message attached to it. And they get it quickly. And they experience not just the, the physical, tangible side of that, but they actually, through that, experience the love of God. And their hearts are wide open to the gospel to learn about this God of love through which this gift has really come. So that's on that side of things. But here in the U.S., uh, there's an interesting chapter, I thought. It was probably the most interesting to write, chapter 3, which is uh, titled, uh, and let me just look at it here so I get it exactly right, but as the world gets better, people are losing hope. Mm -hmm. Sounds contradictory. You would think as the world gets better that people would have more hope, but actually there is pretty good evidence, and even being noted by secular authors, that there's this strange correspondence that as people's standards of, of living um, increases, it seems like their hope diminishes, which is actually quite biblical. I mean, there's a whole book of Ecclesiastes basically <laughs> yes. about the vanity yeah. of whether it's pleasure or achievement or um, education or whatever it is that we're placing or putting our hope in. If it's those things that we're looking to, it doesn't matter how good our life is externally or how much we have. We can actually find ourselves in a terrible pit of despair, mm -hmm. just like the author of, of Ecclesiastes, if our hope is not firmly rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. And so I see that hopelessness even here in the U.S., sometimes even more than I'll see in slums or other places where conditions externally are perhaps worse than here or the standard of living is less. Sometimes I've been inspired by the hope and the joy that I see in these places where they have nothing, but they know Jesus. Mm. Complacency sometimes can be uh, like an anchor to us. Uh, rather than something that uh, motivates us. And so we saw it with the people of Israel as well. And there's another interesting chapter uh, in your book, which I think is a very practical chapter, and it talks about being a conduit of hope. And uh, for Serve Now, we've seen uh, and heard about the blankets, uh, the bikes uh, for the African nations and the pastors in Africa that are now 
getting these bikes and able to go and preach the gospel in multiple churches because they can get there quicker. Um, in America, here in our own homes, in our own communities, with our own people, many of us don't get to travel internationally. What are some practical pieces of advice or wisdom that you might share with us that would help us to be conduits of hope where we're living right now? So one of my favorite stories in the Bible is comes from John chapter 2 and revolves around Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine. And I love the process by which he brought that miracle to pass because he could have just done it all himself. Of course, he was the one behind the actual transformation of the water into wine. But if you read that story carefully, you'll see that he included servants that were standing nearby. And he told them to do certain tasks that were within their capacity to do. You see these jars over here, fill them with water. That was a very simple thing that they were able to do. They couldn't turn the water into wine, but they could fill the jars. And Jesus let them do it. He didn't do it for them. But it was as they did that, and as they then began to take that water to those at the banquet, that Jesus transforms that water into, into wine. So he uses them in this process in the resources or the strength, whatever they had available. And the same is very true for us. It's actually the privilege of being a servant is that we get a behind the scenes uh, special access. It's like going backstage if you're at a concert and you get to meet the artists back there and, and you, you get a whole different view from the backside or the back end, or if you're the ones helping with setting everything up versus those in the audience that are only seeing everything from the front and they're benefiting from it, uh, they, get the, they get the fruit of it, but they haven't seen all the work that has gone in behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. This is like the curtain being lifted. That's the privilege of a servant, is that Jesus wants to use us. And the key phrase there is when his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And I honestly think we overcomplicate things. We're looking for something big and something miraculous, and God does that. But God does that part. We're just to do whatever he tells us to do, even when it looks rather ordinary and simple. Filling jars with water is not very glamorous. <laughs> but the result was, and they knew where it had come from. But the other people hadn't. They just were the recipients of that miracle. Mm -hmm. So I think here, and it, that could take any number of forms, but don't look for the glamorous, don't look for the big, shiny um, thing. Look for the simple thing that you can do. What is Jesus telling you to do? Or where do you see a need? What is it that's on your heart that you have the strength or the resources to do? In fact, there's a verse in Peter where... It says, whoever speaks, let him speak as if he's speaking the very words of God. And whoever serves, let them serve with the strength that God gives. So God isn't asking us to do more than we can do or to do something with, you know, not having the resources to do it. He's not looking for what we don't have. He's looking for what we do have. Mm -hmm. So he said to Moses, what's in your hand? Mm -hmm. All Moses had was an ordinary shepherd's staff. But it would be that ordinary shepherd's staff that when Moses would put it to use for God's purposes, that God would display his power through that. The young boy with the loaves and the fish. We write about that story in the chapter about there's hope for the young. And, uh, I mean, how far would this go in feeding so many? Compared to the need, it looked like nothing. 
but put in the hands of Jesus and it becomes something that's more than enough rather than not enough. Sure, yeah. Throw your net, cast your net to the other side of the boat. Simple tools that the disciples were using every day the Lord could use to accomplish great and mighty things through. And that is uh, certainly hopeful for us because many of us uh, in our day-to-day lives, we fall into a pattern or routine that can, can at times feel mundane or very regular and it's hopeful to know that Jesus is working through that and he's directing people into our lives and he's instructing us in how to minister and care for them. And, and so that is a great encouragement for how we can be a conduit of hope today. One of my uh, favorite chapters of this book, and I thought it was, was outstanding that you landed at the end uh, on this, and it was your very final chapter, uh, Jesus is the hope uh, of the world. And indeed he is. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Talk about why it was so important to wrap the entire book up with that final thought and and that kind of ending and leading out word to readers. Yeah, in that chapter, both our founder and I wrote it together. And it begins with his testimony of how he came to faith in Christ and shares a little bit of his journey through that. And the same thing with me, how I came to faith in Christ. And not just faith in Christ, but how we found hope personally through faith in Christ. And that not only is the the uh, starting place, I think sometimes we look at salvation, we think, yeah, I I prayed the sinner's prayer or I got saved years ago. And it's something that we we relegate to the past versus it being a true starting point through which we are to live the rest of our lives. So it's not just that Jesus was hope for me in my past. It's he is my hope in the present and for the future and for all of eternity. And that has to be the anchor. In fact, Scripture says that in Hebrews, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Mm -hmm. And if you look at our lives today, the world today, man, there are so many storms, not just physically or externally, but internally, emotionally. We get all riled up over politics. We get all riled up over what we see happening in the world. We get so fearful and concerned about what's going on all around us. Jesus is the anchor for our souls. He's the God of all hope, and we have to stay anchored to him if we're going to be able to successfully navigate the times that we're living in. We can't control the storms externally, but we can be anchored to Jesus to be able to weather those storms that are happening all around us. So that was an important book. That's the foundation of hope, and it also needs to remain He is the rock of our hope. Mm -hmm. So for those who would like a little bit more hope in these days, or if you'd like to share a little bit of hope with others in these days, where are folks able to purchase a copy of Hope Rising? They can go to our website, weservenow.org, and find the Books tab, and uh, you'll see that come up as the featured book. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ben, for coming on today and coming all the way from Colorado to be here in uh, Quarryville with us today. And I appreciate you sharing and look forward to God's continued work in your ministry and the ministry of Serve Now. Thank you, Chris.